Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 26. Today, I am hanging out with Shay Cochran, owner and photographer of the SC Stock Shop. We're talking through her career changes, what her days look like now, and how she pushed past the fear of taking a leap of faith that led her to her dream job, a job of creating beautiful stock images for entrepreneurs in any industry. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast with Jenna Kutcher, the live workshop-style business podcast for creative girl bosses. So you can train from the experts how to dig in, do the work, and tackle your goals along the way. Here's your host, photographer, educator, artist, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. This episode of the Gold Digger Podcast is sponsored by HoneyBook. HoneyBook is the management software that I use to stay organized, manage invoices, get paid, and give every client an elevated, unforgettable experience. HoneyBook is offering 20% off exclusively for Gold Digger listeners. Just go to honeybook.com slash gold digger to get started and get your life back today. Hey, Gold Diggers, it's Jenna Kutcher, and today I am so excited to introduce you to Shay Cochran, owner of the SC Stock Shop. Shay is an amazing woman to watch online, but I am so excited to actually get to connect with her in person. She is a mom of two girls, she's a stylist, and she took her life and career as a wedding and portrait photographer and now is doing something totally different, but still in the same realm. So welcome, Shay. Thank you. Good morning. I'm so excited you're here. So why don't you just first tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, kind of your journey as an entrepreneur, and then we'll dive on in. Awesome. Well, I started as a wedding and portrait photographer about oh, almost 11 years ago. Because like most people that get into photography, I was under the impression that the only way that you could make money in photography is if you did weddings. So that was what I did. So I spent the first eight years of my business ownership as a mediocre, at best, wedding and portrait photographer. I think by the end of that, I was producing decent work, 
But when I started to have kids, so when I had my first daughter, she's seven years old now, when I started to have her, I started to realize that my love for wedding photography was starting to wane and it didn't really fit with my season of life as well. I hit a point when I knew that I didn't love shooting weddings as much as I was trying to convince my clients that I loved shooting weddings. Um, Around that time, I also moved to Florida and was just surrounded by a ton of really talented wedding photographers. And that kind of exposed for myself the reality that my heart just wasn't in it anymore. So around about that time, after eight years of doing that, I kind of took a crazy leap into commercial and product styling and just really had didn't really have any experience with it, but thought I could do it and thought it looked cool and thought that I wanted to just give it a try and tried it with my first client who I just kind of reached out to sent the big scary email and said, you have no reason to hire me, but would you ever consider hiring me (laughs) to let Mm -hmm. me shoot your products? That was Emily Lay. She was one of my first clients and I shot for her and loved it so much that I decided that this was it. I was going to just take the big leap and go in this completely different direction and just kind of figure it out as I went. So I like to tell the story about one night when I jumped up off the couch and disappeared into my office for two hours and came back two hours later. And I was like, I did it. I looked at my husband who was sitting on the couch reading his business books. And I was like, I did it. And he's like, what did you do? And I was like, I finally got up the nerve to delete eight years worth of wedding and portrait work off of my website. And in that moment, just kind of committed to giving this whole commercial photography styling and product photography thing a try. And I've just kind of never looked back since then. So that was almost three years ago now. And I've never looked back. I think I finally have found the thing that I really love and that I was sort of created to do comes the most naturally to me in terms of organic creative inspiration, which I never felt as a wedding and portrait photographer. So it's still very fresh and new to me. And I'm still just kind of enjoying the ride (laughs) of figuring it out. I feel like we're all there, aren't we? (laughs) This is a ride and I don't think it ever stops. And there are definitely peaks and valleys of it. But it's so funny. I'm trying to remember how I got connected to you. I think through my friend Bonnie, who you've done a lot of work with. Mm -hmm. And I was just so drawn to the way that you style images. I feel like I've learned a lot from you just watching the way that you present things online and how you put things together. And it's just been really cool to see you grow this business. So what was it like? What was that moment like when you were like, okay, my website is totally different now. I am (laughs) pulling back the reins. Was it terrifying? Was it freeing? Was it all of the above? How did that feel? It was all of the above. There was a good period of time where I would still get wedding inquiries and they would sit in my inbox for a minute, for a minute, by for a minute, I mean like for two weeks. Right. (laughs) And that's when you know you just, you need to move on from that when there's that much of a hesitation. There was certainly those moments of like, oh, but I'm walking away from money, like known money. I know I could shoot this wedding and, and it would put money in the bank. But I also just really by that point knew that it wasn't fun for me anymore. And that wasn't fair to those brides who deserve to have a photographer who's as excited about their wedding day as they are. So I knew that it was time to move away. And then once I tried it, once I kind of got my hands dirty with product styling, I knew that I loved it so much that it really just became an exciting pursuit of this new idea that I could 
I could style products and there really wasn't a whole lot of, there weren't a lot of other people that I knew of who were servicing the clients that I wanted to service, the kind of small, big business owners, the ladies who are the CEOs of profitable companies, but they still have their hands in a lot of parts of it. So they're not working with ad agencies and PR firms to hire out photography. They would be essentially hiring me directly. That was exciting to me, getting to service that market and not really having a lot of competition, which meant that I could just kind of figure it out and make the rules up as I went, which has its own challenges. But it was, for the most part, just really exciting. And it it is still very exciting to me. I still kind of am like, wow, I can, (laughs) people will pay me to do this. And, but you know, I think the best part about it was really just as a wedding and portrait photographer, I always had a really hard time saying that I was a creative or saying that I was creative. I have always loved business and I've always loved owning a business and being an entrepreneur and sort of the game of building something and having it resonate with people and help people. I would have always said that business was my first love and photography was kind of like a fill in the blank. And that was because as a wedding and portrait photographer, I never really felt like I was creating anything just really unique or authentic. I don't know that authentic is the right word to use, but um, original, maybe? yeah, original would probably be a better word. Like I never laid awake at night thinking about posing and like thinking through ideas for where I wanted to do a shoot or what kind of lighting I wanted to be. I laid awake in fear that I would mess up. Oh girl. I laid awake nightmares. Oh man. Like, can I even do this? And just full of mostly anxiety, not really creative energy. So when I started doing product photography and product styling for the first time ever, Out of eight years of being a creative business owner and not feeling like a creative, really just feeling like I was really just working really hard to execute beautiful photographs that I saw other people doing that I knew my client would like. And I think in that regard, I was able to do a good job, but it wasn't really until I started doing this that I actually felt some kind of like organic creative energy where I was laying awake at night and thinking about what I could do and how I could do it and what I would create and whether or not it would resonate with people. And I couldn't wait to get my hands on certain things to style. And I was excited about opportunities again instead of just fearful (laughs) for being about how I'd be able to execute it. And that was just very new to me to now for the first time I'm in a space where I feel like I am a creative and I feel like I can be creative. And it's not just about the business as much as I still love the business aspect of it. I actually really love the creative aspect of what I'm doing right now. And that's so new to me that I kind of am still like riding that high of pushing myself creatively and having inspiration and following it and all that that kind of allows for. That's awesome. And obviously in episode 15, I talk all about that. And, you know, creative has become such a catchword or a catchphrase Mm -hmm. that people are throwing around to describe their occupation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes for me, especially, I resonate with so much of that because I am just such a business minded woman. I love the business side of things. If I had to choose whether to stay up late thinking about marketing or thinking Mm -hmm. about wedding images, I would definitely read marketing books or things like that. And so it's always a challenge because I feel like for some people, creativity comes firsthand and they struggle more on the business side of things. But then for others, the business stuff is where our heart is and the creative is just an avenue for us to exercise that business side. And so 
It is such a hard thing. And what I really love is that you listened to your gut and you followed it because I feel like a lot of us feel backed into a corner Mm -hmm. where we're like, this is what I've made. This is what my brand is. This is what people know me as. And all of a sudden they're like, well, this isn't as fun, but you know, this is me, I guess. And yeah, I have to, I have to oh, keep doing this or I have to yeah. keep doing Or you wrap your identity up in the fact that you were a wedding photographer to the point where you can't see who you are, who Shay is and like what you're going to do. So I love that you listen to that. I'm sure it was not easy at all. What was the hardest part of that transition for you, that in-between period when you're deciding to leave one thing and start the next? That's a really good question. I think, to be honest with you, probably just the pride, the Mm -hmm. pridefulness or the pride that I had in having established eight years worth of a portfolio and then taking all of that down and really having nothing to show for this new venture that I wanted to do. So I think the work was fun and that made it feel easy. So there have been, obviously, as I've had firsts in this new industry, my first big client or my first certain constraints I had to work with or my first this or my first that, those are obviously challenging. But since they're fun, they don't feel overwhelming. But I think just getting past my own pride of letting that business close up and come to an end and starting something new and being okay with that. Just like you were saying, I think we all are proud of what we've created. And I always want to just stay in a space where I also can let it go and move on and not be so wrapped up in it that I can't move in another direction. So, but I think just my own simple, like the pride wrapped up in that was probably just the hardest part of okay, I'm just going to like let go of what I did for eight years and move on and do this new thing and see what happens. (laughs) I love that. And I think too, a lot of us, we never talk about ego. And when you hear the word ego, I think a lot of us think this negative, like prideful person, Mm. but a lot of times our egos can get involved too. And I did a really interesting interview with Jess Lively all about just listening to your intuition and the way your ego can tell you lies. And I feel like for so many of us, when we maybe leave a corporate job and then to just say like, I'm a wedding photographer, that takes a lot of guts. And then you get comfortable with that. And to think about adding or changing your title, sometimes that can just feel so overwhelming. And our ego is the one whispering like, no, you are this, you cannot be that. And so I think that is so interesting. So One of the things that I absolutely love about what you do is that you give brands that might not have access to their own personal photographer or access to beautiful, stunning images or the ability to create their own. You give them these images that can really set their brand apart from other people. So explain to everyone what the stock shop is, how entrepreneurs are using it in their businesses and kind of how it works. Cause I love the way that you do things. And I, for what I'm a huge fan and have used your work before in my business. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're, welcome. You're very kind. <laughs> You're very kind with your words. The stock shop is a place where creative business owners of all different sizes and all different creative outlets, whether you're a paper goods designer or a calligrapher or a photographer or a yoga instructor, any kind of creative business owner can come and find stock photography to build their brand around. So 
when you think about branding, you have like your logo and your text and your colors and your, you know, all of those very important graphic design elements. But I think there's something about bringing in a visual photographic element to that, that kind of brings something to life. It's like the difference between if I were a chef and on my website, I had a sketch of a good meal or like a graphic design mock-up of a good meal versus like a photograph of like a steaming plate of something amazing. There's just something that photographs bring in that add a sort of human touch to a brand that I think I've always thought was really just interesting. So what I created the stock shop, I wanted to create sets of images and individual images that any kind of business or creative business could purchase and then kind of incorporate and build their brand around that set of images, whether that's using the image in the background of their website or on a blog header or in their newsletters or creating custom buttons out of it for their site. And that that photograph would essentially just provide a sort of real human photographic element to their brand. And then obviously that translates into use on social media. There's obviously so many image heavy social platforms these days. And the pressure to have images to keep up with that need is a great one. And We've all felt the frustration of you have something that you need to say and that you need an image to say it with. And that can be hard even for us photographers to find the image to share, to say the thing that we need to say, but we need an image to share it with. And I know that it's even harder when you're not a photographer, when you are a calligrapher or a chef or a shop owner, and you don't even own a camera. If you own a camera, you're not exactly sure how to use it, especially how to use it to actually help grow your business. So the need was there to just provide images, stock images, but that really had a specific aesthetic to them that would allow business owners where to do what is within their wheelhouse and let a photographer do what's in their wheelhouse and create images that they can use on social media and that kind of thing. So that's kind of the purpose behind the stock shop. And that was kind of the goal for the stock shop was to just have a place where creative business owners could buy images that they could then use to grow their brand and get their message out that would look as polished and professional and quality as the products or services that they were trying to sell. Because we all know, unfortunately, you can have a really, really great product, but in today's day and age where we're all interacting over the computer and over the internet, somebody can't necessarily pick up your product and touch it and see the quality and see the paper quality or see the brush stroke quality. So images have just become really, really important in communicating the quality behind the product or again, the service that you're selling. So that's kind of, that was my big dream for the shop was to just create a place where that became accessible to people who photography just wasn't in their wheelhouse. That was the long explanation of (laughs) Well, and what I think is so great about this is your images can really be molded to fit somebody's vision. And it's not going to take over their vision. It's just going to accentuate it or make it even better. And what I love about it is that you wouldn't have to go out and buy an entire bundle. You could use one image in mm-hmm. multiple places in multiple ways. And what I really love and what I always end up purchasing are the images with screens so that you can show a new website or yeah. a new blog or something like that. And if anyone has ever tried to photograph screens, it's not always the easiest feat. <laughs> I am a super, super linear person. And so I always get so frustrated if my lines aren't exactly perfectly mm-hmm. straight. And I'm like, I'm just going to go buy a stock 
photo from Shay. So I love that. So one of the things that I've noticed about your work, especially recently, is that you've incorporated new elements like hands to show human touch or humanness Mm -hmm. and just even the style of shooting. Have you learned so much as you've created each new collection? I feel like that has to be a yes. I have. You know, I'm still in the middle of it. I'm still in the middle of learning, which will will hopefully always be the case. But that sort of the evolution of the images in the stock shop is a product of a lot of things. It's a product of growing in it myself. It's a product of having the resources in the business to then make better propping decisions. I look at those original images and I'm like, I had to shoot what I had on hand. I had to shoot what I could buy at Target. I had to yep. shoot what I like, what was on the clearance rack at Michael's. <laughs> and that's okay. That was what I had to do at that time. Now there's the resources within the business to actually make more intentional, more exciting propping decisions to bring in real beautiful high-end florals or purchase props that are just are better made and better quality, more luxurious feeling, which translates into imagery that has just a more polished, professional, high-end look, which serves the client well. And it also allows for it to look different than the other stuff that's being produced. So it's a product of that. Like as the business has grown, it's been really exciting to be able to invest more into what I'm styling in so that the content of the images is better. It's just more polished. It's just a little higher end, a little more mature. Obviously you'll see like my style evolve and I'm still in the process of that and kind of pushing myself and pushing myself deeper and deeper into authenticity and trying to marry authenticity with what is visually and aesthetically desirable to the masses at the moment, which for better, for worse is you know, something I have to pay attention to and try to give people what they want. It's also a product of trying to be innovative. So, you know, you talk about the hands and the screens and it's a partially a product of listening to what people need as it relates to things like computer screens and iPhone screens. The need is there. So it's always listening to my clients and listening to what their requests are. My clients are amazingly engaged in the company and feel the freedom to email me and say, Hey, have you ever thought about doing this? Or this would be really amazing. When I ask survey questions, they respond to those survey questions and listening to the needs of the client has been such an important part of steering the ship with the direction we take the images. And then what I was alluding to is just the need to innovate as the market becomes full of great styled stock. There's the need to innovate and figure out what I can do well that will really bring something new to the marketplace and meet a need. So I'm constantly having to challenge myself to do something new and do something different while it's still being true to myself and true to my wheelhouse. So I hope that it continues to evolve. I think the worst thing would be if I just get really stuck and just keep producing the same thing over and over. So now I'm kind of in that space where I've done, like the desktops are clearly in my wheelhouse. So that was the original kind of idea. And I still love doing that. But I also have to ask myself like, okay, am I just going to reproduce desktops forever Mm -hmm. with new color palettes and slightly different aesthetics? Or 
can I somehow challenge myself to try something new? And that's where it gets hard when you're the only person in your business. I don't have anyone looking over my shoulder and saying, you know, I think you could do that a little bit differently, or I think you could really push yourself in this direction, or that's safe. So right now you're just doing (laughs) what is safe. Maybe you could try this. I don't have anybody to do that. So I kind of have to like prod myself (laughs) and Mm -hmm. say, okay, how can, like, how can we do something different? But, you know, again, like just to, to try to create a helpful answer out of that, I think one of the best things you could possibly do is listen to your audience and listen to their needs and then respond where their needs meet your strength. That's going to be like your sweet spot and your business's sweet spot. So I'm just trying to do that well to become a better and better listener and then listen to my gut about what of those needs, what of those real needs can I meet well and then kind of give it a try. <laughs> give, it, give it the old college try. <laughs> That's exactly the big college try. Well, and exactly. it's funny too, I've even found in my life in business, I created this rule for myself so that I would never get too comfortable but I would always keep creating, not just for myself, but for others. And so Mm -hmm. it was two for them, one for me. Yeah. So even when I shoot weddings, I always do two shots for the client that I know that, you know, they're safe. They're going to love them. They're going to appreciate them. But then one for me where I just challenge myself to try something new. And I repeat that over and over. It's like my mantra on wedding days, because otherwise you do, you just go into autopilot. And I mm-hmm. think it's so easy as a business owner, especially if autopilot is working. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, so easy absolutely. to just revert back to that. Cause mm-hmm. I'm sure you could style something today and know that it's going to sell, but you know, it's balancing that business woman in you where you're like, I need to put food on the table and you know, I need to draw in a profit, but also really pushing yourself to what could be next. And I love both of those parts about being an entrepreneur and relating as a creative. And so I think that's so important. So I have a funny question coming from a photographer. Do you have to Photoshop a lot in your images? You know, I've gotten better. Obviously, the better job you do in camera, the less Photoshop that exactly. you have to do. Yes. So originally, I was shooting 100% natural light. Okay. And when I was shooting 100% natural light, I had to usually do some post-processing to whiten my backgrounds. That's yep. usually kind of always the main thing that I needed to do in Photoshop. I don't do any like moving products around or anything like that. I really, I am also very linear in my thinking. So I need to like see it the way that it's going to be even down to the crop. Like I I have to frame it in camera the way it's going to be in the final crop. Like I I just, so that's why I will spend a lot of time styling. I'll be very, very meticulous during the actual styling process until it really is just right because I hate editing. Mm-hmm. So that the bottom line is I hate editing and I only work 14 hours a week and there's no room in 14 hours a week for doodling around in Photoshop. So <laughs> there isn't time for that. So I don't I really try to get it right in camera. I'm finally at the point with the stock shop where it doesn't really need very much. Like I'll I'll maybe be adding a little bit of contrast or sharpening or that kind of thing. Maybe a little bit of brightening or a little bit of contrast in Lightroom after I shoot, but that's it. Otherwise I'm not doing anything else to it. And again, that has just come with now I'm, I'm getting into my third year or so of doing this and I'm getting better. Praise the Lord. I'm getting better. (laughs) My lighting setup's getting better, but I really have always, even when I as a wedding photographer, I always shot in a way that would try to avoid editing at all costs because yep. I just hate it. 
<laughs> Ditto. I'm with you. I like, even when I first started, I was like too shy to like tell somebody just a little step to the left. And now yeah. I'm like, I am going to get this perfect right. because otherwise I would kick myself when I'd go back and look at those images and like, why didn't I just speak up? Why didn't I, I speak that just an inch or move them a foot to the left or whatever yeah, that is? <laughs> that, I think you bring up something that I, I'm trying to listen to because that I think is so valuable. I think I'm trying to learn to trust my gut and my creative eye more. And I think there's something really powerful about that. Sorry, I'm like having my own moment over this here. Where I'm like, <laughs> yes. I think we would all do so well to really train ourselves to stop and listen to our gut about the way something looks. If you're a creative in the sense that you're, you know, you're doing something visual and you're responding to what you're creating and you're perfecting it or whatever it is. I think that we would progress so much faster if we would slow down and listen to ourselves because all the time I look at my images and I'm like, oh, I just, I should have just moved that. Mm -hmm. I knew I should have moved that. And my brain thought it and I just moved on. I was working too quickly or I was just like, oh, I won't worry about it. But I think the really talented, really mature creatives are the ones that have really learned to listen to themselves as they're creating and take the time to stop and fix it or do the thing or avoid the, I'm in that. I'm in the middle of looking at my own work and saying, that was cheesy. I knew it. I knew I should have like pressed into that a little more, or I should have, and not in like a brow beating way, because I still think I'm producing value and beauty, but I'm like, oh, I should have listened to myself. That was not really authentic or that felt forced or that whatever. And so that's exciting to me that like, there's like progress to be made oh, there, I guess. I won't keep definitely. rambling about that, but I no. do think there's something there for creatives that, that they need to slow down yes. and learn to trust their gut because your gut is what's going to make you unique and set you apart versus just doing what you're, versus just reproducing what you're seeing in mass on Pinterest and that kind of thing. Definitely. It really is going to be like that little voice of your gut that says, oh, you really should try this or that, that doesn't look quite right. That's really going to set you apart. So. I think to I'll get off that No, well, and it reminds me of my early days as a wedding photographer where I was like rapid fire shooting, hoping mm -hmm. that just one of the shots would work out. When yeah, I wasn't yeah. confident in my ability to produce, yeah. that was when I was just winging it and like praying like, okay, one out of these 10 is going to work. Yeah. Where now on a wedding day, I am shooting hundreds of less images, yeah. but I am yeah. using more uh, or like a higher percentage of what I'm shooting because mm -hmm. once I get it, you move on, yeah. you stop, you just move on. And I think that there's so much power in that. And also on the back end, it saves you so much time. So yeah. let's talk about how much you're working and how that works and what that looks like for your life and your family too. <laughs> yeah. I think I have a unique situation by choice in that I only work two days a week. So I have literally 14 hours a week that I'm building these two businesses. So there's the styling and commercial side of my business, product styling and product photography. And then there's the stock shop side of the business. And I do have one employee, Kelly, who's my shop manager and my sort of administrative assistant. And she also works 14 hours a week. So in a sense, I've kind of like doubled my time there. And that's incredibly valuable. I couldn't run both of the businesses without her help because 14 hours a week is not a lot of time. So the decision to work only two days a week, regular hours is just one that was born out of what was the best fit for 
our family? And then what was the best fit for me creatively? Where is that kind of finding that line between thriving and burning out? And I think right now during this season of life, that line is around two days a week. Maybe at most I could work three days a week, but a lot of people ask me next year, when your littlest daughter is in school full time, I mean, my options are endless. I could work five days a week if I wanted to. I don't think I want to, strangely enough, as much as I love what I do. Because a part of me knows I love work. I love building. I love creating something. I love, again, I love the game of it. I love just the challenge of producing something that people will love and will be helpful for them. And I see my tendency to just really dive really deep into that. And then it would be hard for me to kind of lift my head back out to be a good mom and to be an engaged wife and have a healthy marriage and have healthy friendships and be a part of a community and all those things. So all of that has led me to two days a week being kind of right for us during this season. So that means that those two days a week are very focused and they're just very The unfortunate thing is that there's not a a lot of room for like just free creative play, which is what I'm really trying to work on this year is room to breathe in business because in order to run two successful businesses in 14 hours a week, it's very, it's very to the point. Like everything, all of my time is spoken for. One thing that allows me to do it all in two days a week, not do it all, but have healthy profitable business only two days a week is by really zeroing in on the things that I know I'm best at and actually add to the bottom line the most. So I know you're familiar with the 80-20 principle Mm -hmm. where 20% of what you do, I mean, you could apply it to a lot of different things, but in this instance, 20% of what I do generates 80% of the revenue. And for me, that 20%, one of the biggest things in that 20% would be shooting. Mm -hmm. So the best use of my time is shooting. It's not answering email. It's not a lot of other things. It's, It's not blogging. It's not... I don't know, newsletters, I guess, would be arguable because newsletters, as you know, as you're teaching, like a newsletter is a very important, profitable asset of your business. But shooting really is where my time is best spent. So I kind of am just constantly trying to refine my work week so that I have time to shoot and that I can just focus on what really pushes the business forward. But my husband and I both are pretty, we're pretty much sticklers about work boundaries. And we both go into work, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. We both come out at five. He works from home also. So we kind of like meet up in the middle, which is our kitchen after our like commutes from our office. Like mine's at the back of the house. This is the front of the house. And we kind of meet in the middle at five. And we both are very, you know, we're shut out of email for the evening. And with very rare exceptions, obviously, There's going to be times when you're launching something big or something's going to require some extra effort or time or attention. But with the exception of that, we draw some pretty hard lines about work and life, where work ends and where the rest of our life and the things that we really, really care about begin. And that's so hard. It's so hard. Good. (laughs) Like it's hard because on a day like today, to be very honest with you, I woke up and just felt like, man, I'm never going to get to do all these really awesome things that I really want to do. I have big ideas and I have things I want to build and things that have been in the works for years. But when you can only dedicate, I have something new that I'm building. I feel like I've been building for like a million years now. In reality, it's probably like six months or eight (laughs) months. But when you couldn't really only give it one or two hours a week, it's a slow build. It is a slow, painful build. And I see people around me with more 
time, willing to give their work more time, or they're just in different seasons of life, and they can just fly past me. And that is hard. The reality is that that is hard. That's a hard choosing of priorities to say, no, I'm just going to, I have to be okay with growing slow because that is what fits this season of life. And I want to look back on these years and say, I was there for my kids and I was present in my marriage and it's healthy and friendships are in a good spot. I know in the depths of my heart that that is really what matters. But for someone who loves business and building things, it is a hard choice every day and it can be discouraging when 14 hours is very limiting. It may take me like six more months to build what somebody else could probably build in a weekend. But (laughs) it's um, good though that you have like those boundaries. And I think to, you know, Drew just started working from home with me and it's such a transition. And the first couple days I was like, oh no, we made a giant mistake. (laughs) What were we thinking? But now I'm like, this is wonderful. And we literally go to opposite ends of the house. I'm up in the attic, he's in the office. And then we switch spots, we eat lunch together and then we get back to work. And, you know, it's one of those things where you know, I'm in a totally different season of life than you. And even yesterday I was leaving the gym and I was talking to one of my friends there. She has two sweet little boys and we were talking about this month long sabbatical and she was just like, Oh my gosh, your life. I just want to live it. Like, and I was like, you know, but like some days I want to live your life too. Like where it's funny because it is so hard. And when we look at other people, it's so easy. And I feel like sometimes it's easy for people with children to be like, oh, it makes sense that you're doing all these things because you don't have kids yet. And it it does make sense. But like, I love how you just said, like, I am choosing what is best for this season of life for me. And I think that the internet makes it so hard to do that, doesn't it? Yeah. Those lies. It just makes it look like we're doing it all. You know, you can look at people and say, oh, they're doing it all. Like, how do they do it all? And the answer is, I don't do it all. No one (laughs) is. Nobody is. 70% of my days are probably spent saying no. Right. (laughs) Of my work days, you know, well, actually, and of my mom days, probably also. So much of what allows my business to continue to function is saying no. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's hard. It's hard to say no to projects and But I think Um, people respect that too. Like I know even we had reached out to you and we had talked and I find so much of a place of respect. Have you read the book Present Over Perfect yet? I haven't, but it's on my list for this year. So I'm working through it as well. And there's something so great in it where we, so many of us, and I feel like you will relate to this, especially as a businesswoman is we see all these opportunities and they're all so shiny. And we all think about like, oh no, what if if I say no to this one, what if this was the one that could be my big break or like, you know, we tell ourselves these lies and we want to be these yes people. And one of the best parts or something that really stood out to me about the book was she was like, I don't want to finish my life and have people say like, there's Shauna that she was that yes girl. She always was there (laughs) and she was so reliable. And, and I was like, man, like that is something I am chasing right now. And I shouldn't be like, I want to be someone that's respected as a woman and as a wife and as a family person. And, you know, it was just so funny because I loved even when we reached out to you and you're like, Hey, this is just a really busy season right now, but I do have time, you know, X, Y, and Z. You didn't say no, you just said not now. And I think that that's so powerful. And I think that that is something that a lot of us could really use in our businesses and in our lives too. Well, I'm just, I'm learning to give myself and my business more margin and and that hasn't always been there. And 
I've tried to learn in the last few years to have harder nose, like have firmer yeah. nose, and then to also be realistic about possibilities when it is a project that I actually really do care about. Because, you know, in the beginning, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and you don't want to miss out on any opportunities. You're like, no, I probably like can't do that right now, but I would love to another mm-hmm. day. But you really don't want to do it. And yeah. then, you know, <laughs> they come back and, and then you come feel back and they ask you again. And you, you deserve that because yep. you kept them on the hook out of fear. So I have really tried to stop and like think, listen, listen to myself. Is this really something that I want to do? Not saying yes out of fear that I shouldn't miss this opportunity, but is this something that would really be fun for me and life giving? Mm-hmm. And if so, then what is a margin filled time frame that I could give them? And usually it's like, can you email me in three months or yeah. four months or something like that? And that is just, that is the reality of the tortoise pace that I work at big picture. Like I probably will not have time to get around to it for another three or four months. And then learning to just like fight the fear and say a hard no, like, I don't think this is a great fit for us. And I learned that from other really great business women mm-hmm. who also are sure of themselves enough <laughs> to say, no, that's not a good fit for us. That's okay. I, I feel like this is the first year. 2016 was probably the first year where I really felt like I could say no with confidence. And then I could say later with confidence also to the things that I really did want to do, but I just knew if I did it right now, it wouldn't be done well. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very freeing. And I think that it is this like self-discovery journey and with confidence comes the ability to do that. And I think also when you learn how to respect yourself in your time, people, you kind of set that stage for people to do the same for you. And so it is, it's one of those things I'm, I'm definitely working on it. You know, I think a lot of us are, and it becomes a place where, you know, you're mixing your life and your business and you're making these decisions and none of them are easy. And so much of it, I feel like is mixed, you know, it's not like oil and vinegar. It's just something that is so hard to sometimes distinguish. What is this piece in my life or how do I serve it or how do I come at it from a place of service? And so I think what's hard is like, I think a lot of us can find ourselves a lot of small creative business owners out of a heart for wanting to serve people. Mm -hmm. They kind of create a business where they're really owned by a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. if you feel like you can never say no, or you feel like you have to meet whatever needs are presented to you, then you don't really own your business. You've allowed all these other people to basically like profit share in your business, except not profit share. Yeah. Um, Not paying you, but you're only own the use of your time. And I think there's something to taking that back and saying, no, like this is my life and this business exists to serve my life, not my life to serve my business. So what does that look like? How do I keep it in that spot where I'm, I'm thriving creatively and I, I don't dread going into work, but I love going into work and I'm healthy and my family's healthy and my bank account is healthy. And I, I think in order for those things to be true, we really do have to come to a place where, where we're doing the things that we want to be doing. I guess that kind of seems like an oversimplification. I know we love to say like, I just want to help people and I just want to serve people. But I see so many businesses where creatives and business owners burn out because essentially just other people own them and their time because they're afraid to say no. And, or it comes out of just a heart of really, really genuinely wanting to help everyone all the time. So it is a delicate balance of saying like, yes, I want to put something valuable out in the world and I want it to genuinely help people. But also this is like my life and my business. 
So we make decisions like that all the time, whether it's what we're going to post on social media or how much we're going to post on social media or when we're going to answer email, if we're going to answer that email at two o'clock in the morning, if we're going to do that extra thing that somebody's asking me to do. These are all like the micro decisions that we make that determine who owns your business. Does everybody else own your business or do you own your business (laughs) or does your business own you? (laughs) Right. Oh yeah. That's a last question. It's so funny. One final thing that I wanted to bring up and it was so interesting in Jess Lively's interview, we got off of the interview and we just kept chatting for a little bit. And I have always prided myself on being an empathetic person. Whenever I take those tests, I'm always an empath and I'm like, I am just such an empathetic person. And she said, she's like, Jenna, I want to give you an example of something that might change your life. And it actually really has ever since she told it to me, it's really changed things. And I get so many emails and so many messages every day of, you know, people that need advice or help or encouragement. And I always tried to meet them where they were at. And she said, Jesus never met people where he was at. He always saw them as the whole being their their whole selves, never for what they were, not the leper. He didn't see the leper spots. He saw that human being. And she said, people aren't coming to you for you to meet them where they are. They're coming to you for you to lift them up. And the way that she phrased it, and I wished so badly that it was still recording when she said it, because <laughs> it really helps me understand, like, we can't be everything to everyone. Yeah. And the more that we are ourselves, then we can help just let other people see that light that we see in them instead of trying to shine the light into their darkness. Like it just really helped me to think about like how instead of trying to meet every single person where they are at and depleting myself and really, you know, taking out from myself, what if I could just shine my light in so that I could illuminate who they are? I don't even know if that makes sense. But it goes back to, you know, knowing where to say yes and where to say no and all of that. And something that I just think you are such an exemplary leader in is knowing those boundaries, setting them, sticking to them as best as you can. Obviously, things change and things Mm. come up, but also just seeing your different roles and almost compartmentalizing them in a way that allows you to be fully present in each of them. Yeah, that's the only way that I know how to do it when I had my first daughter. So I was trying to figure out what it looked like to be a mom and a business owner. I tried to do it all and they kind of all blended in together. And I was working during nap times and working with a baby sitting in my lap, trying to bang at the keys Mm -hmm. (laughs) to this day. If I try to type with Vera, who's almost (laughs) five, like sitting with me, she wants to type. Like, of course she wants to touch the screen and move the mouse. And any mom who is a business owner knows what that feels like. It didn't work for me. My head and my heart were just constantly pulled and I ended up resenting the things that I really loved, like my kids, in order to preserve the things that I don't really love, which is like the business. So compartmentalizing was really born out of it not working the other way, just trying to do it all at the same time, all the time. So I know everyone is different and everybody has different situations and circumstances and But it works the best for me to completely compartmentalize so that I have days when I can just get up and I know that really all that I need to do that day is work, go in and like crush it to the best of my ability, like 
go be creative, go answer emails, go make decisions. And I love those days. And then I love waking up on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and knowing that I don't have to be anything to anybody. I don't have to answer email. I just have to be mom to my kids and make breakfast and make them laugh and point them to Jesus and tickle them and like get them to school safely and make sure they have their lunches packed. And there's just so much freedom for me in compartmentalizing those things. And obviously it's not going to work perfectly because on some work days, you're going to get a call from the school saying, you know, that your little one needs to come home and all plans have to be held with an open hand. But it is just what, what works for me. And I do recommend it for anybody who's just feels like they're kind of drowning in trying to do all the roles all at once to compartmentalizing out your days, a try so that you have certain days that are dedicated work days. And then certain days where you're, I'm free to not be Shay Cochran of the SC stock shop. And I'm free to not be on Instagram creating a brand, right? I'm just being and living out the things that are the most important to me with my family and with my friends and with my community and with my church and that kind of thing. So highly recommend compartmentalizing <laughs> and it's not for the faint of heart. And it does take a certain type of client to be very patient with that. I have a terrible email turnaround time. I will be the first person to admit that <laughs> because we're only in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Kelly and I, but um, I bet you get more done on Tuesday and Thursday than you did Monday through Friday before you had children or like, I you like know what I mean? Like, that that's true. <laughs> I do like to you think got that, that pressure. You got true. that time crunch. You just got to get it done. You know? Yeah. Like, I think there's something to that, that the less time you have, to, I mean, I think that's actually like a real like, yeah. business associate. <laughs> logical principle but like the last time you have to do it the faster you can do it it's and, like and- <laughs> 20 minutes before somebody comes over to your house and you like clean more in those 20 minutes than you oh, have in sure. like the full weekend you had to do it there's a, we need to figure this out there's a real legit term for that yeah, it's we're like not if you're three months to write no i know <laughs> But if you've given, you're given like three months to write a term paper and you're going to do it still in the last like two days before it's due. But if you're given like one day to write a term paper, you're going to write it in one day. Anyway, there's real, like there's real business principle there that the really smart people would probably know. Somebody's (laughs) going to comment to us and be like, ladies, it's this. We're going to be like, (laughs) we're really smart, I promise. So where can everybody find you? Tell us exactly where to find you online, your shop. Give everyone this scoop. Yeah, you can find my commercial work, my product styling at shaycochran.com. And you can find the stock shop stuff if you're a creative business owner and have any need for imagery, which I think we all do. If there's something we can do for you and help take something off your plate with providing images for you, you can find the stock shop at sc.stockshop.com. Dot com. And then the stock shop has an Instagram account. So you can kind of keep an eye on what we're, what's new in the shop, what we're producing and see if there's something that fits your aesthetic and fits your brand and would help you to do business beautifully. As we like to say, you can find us on Instagram as SC stock shop. And then my kind of professional Instagram feed is Shay Cochran. So that's where I am. I'm not cool enough to be on Snapchat or anything oh, like girl. that. No, I tried like, I, I think 17 different teenagers explain to me how to oh. use Snapchat and I still just didn't understand. So that's me just showing my, my age. There. Oh, I can't do it either. Don't <laughs> worry. Do oh so I'm God. just on Instagram. <laughs> Shay, thank you so much for being with me today and just for shedding a light on so many of the things that so many of us are facing. And you are just such an inspiration. I hope everyone goes and checks out her shop. And also she gives away freebies every single month, which are you need to get your hands on. So sign up for her email list. She serves the list so well. 
And thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I was thinking I would love to give all of your listeners a discount code to the stock shop. So if they would like to go visit and see if there's something that they could use, they can use the code golddigger15. So we'll send that out too, but G-O-A-L-D-I-G-G-E-R 15, and that will give them 15% off of anything in the shop. And yeah, like Jenna said, sign up for the newsletter. Don't spend a dime. Just sign up for the newsletter and get free styled stock images to your inbox. We promise to make them as awesome as possible. (laughs) Well, they are totally awesome. I love using them. I'm a huge fan. So you are the best. And we'll link to all of this in the show notes at golddiggerpodcast.com. So thank you so much, Shay. Have an amazing, amazing day. Thanks for listening to Gold Digger. Dive into show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You gold digging dream chaser, you.